Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Two Feet Podcast. I'm your host Terrence Greer, and I'm joined by the wonderful Miss Jessica Donnelly. How you doing today? Good. <laughs> Shut up. So if I'm not mistaken, New Orleans rain. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a nice little background. Ambiance. Yeah, that is very nice, especially for Sunday, right? Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> so um, if I'm not mistaken, you have quite the background. You are a choreographer. You are a choreographer. Chore- my fault. Choreographer. <laughs> you're a dancer. Um, you're a medium. You are a a lot of things. I'm blanking on the rest of them. Oh, yeah. I practice Reiki. I teach yoga. Um, travel. I think um, the dance enthusiast part is probably the main part. Okay. Yeah. So I'm yeah, born and raised in New Orleans, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, born in New Orleans and raised outside of New Orleans okay. on the River Road. Okay. So that's kind of what what people would maybe say, Kunas country. Right. You know, that sounds kind of <laughs> like people hear that and they're like, whoa, calm down. Yeah. And it's like, that's like no, sticks though, no, right? it actually means just like people who live off the land, like okay. bayou kind of people. Mm. So. I'm, I'm you know, curious. shrimping, fishing, hunting, mm-hmm. crawfishing, crabbing. Like, I grew up in Doing that. Doing all that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I grew up so you in grew that up, environment. Like, zydeco dancing. Um, yeah. Lindy Cajun Hopping? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. dancing. Not Lindy Hop. Okay, it's what okay. we call jitterbugs. So okay, I jitterbug. Grew up, some people call it swing out, hand dancing. It's what you do to, like, rhythm and blues music. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm curious, then, you know, speaking on all that, you know, I guess, you know, what was your childhood like growing up in Louisiana, then? It was all about being outside. Okay. I mean, the the best part of growing up in Louisiana was, like, always had good food, fresh food, music, dance, um, and we just spent a lot of time outside. Okay. When we weren't at school, we were outside. Mm. Everything was outside. <laughs> all right, so I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we grew up fishing, hunting, um, my brothers had guns, you know, hunting and stuff, building stuff, building little huts with palm meadows, those little palms, um, crawfishing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the whole thing, just Mm. being in nature. You say you have brothers. Uh, I guess you know, where where are you at in like that order? I'm the youngest. I'm the baby girl. Of how many? Three. Okay. So it's boy, boy, me. Oh, it's that. And I'm curious, you know, um, I guess how did that, how was that being the baby girl? Did you get treated the best or get picked on? People what? would think I get treated the best. But. I'm here to say <laughs> it wasn't this way. Yeah. I had to, I had to really fend for myself in mm. a lot of ways. I had to be tough. Okay. I had to, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like I grew up like a boy. You, you know, two like, older brothers, no, of course. No crying, you know, um, get over it, you know, mm. keep it moving. Yeah, how are you? It ain't that serious, uh-huh. it ain't that bad, you know, and all of that, so. I understand. Yeah. I'm curious, what Which were, has its own issues, you know? <laughs> but this is a cultural, it's it's a cultural thing, too. I grew up in a very, like, survivor um worldview you know why you say that um well there wasn't any time to like 
you know, be in dialogue and be in conversation and how do you feel? Like, we don't have no time for that. You know, we're trying to not die here. So, you know, so it was very much like that hard. My dad's uh, saying was like, work hard, play hard. Mm. You know, everything's hard. Okay. So. What did your parents do? Um, my dad worked construction. Mm. There's, he definitely um, worked hard. Yeah. So there's all the chemical plants along the river road in, um, in, on, um. Is it Garysville, Gainesville? What was it? Garyville. So Garyville, there's a plant called Marathon and anybody who grows up in that area knows about Marathon and most people work at these plants. There's, you know, they're all along the river, um, between here and, um, in Baton Rouge, there's just all these chemical mm-hmm. plants. And most people who grow up in this area, most of their livelihoods um, are that. And both of my okay. brothers still work in that industry. Okay. They, you know, graduate high school and boom, Straight plugged there. in. That was mm. it. And even before they graduated high school, they were working in the plants. Um, you know, it's not the healthiest thing to do, mm-hmm. but you make money like from junk. Okay. Because it's oil industry. Yeah, exactly. That's big in Louisiana, right? Yeah. So this was my family's kind of thing. And then my mom um, was a school teacher. Okay. Mm-hmm. So no, so no, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, um, you know, I guess maybe what were some of your hobbies as a child growing up? Um, I would say singing, dancing. I would spend a lot of time by myself, actually, outside. I would, like, choreograph. Mm-hmm. Dances. Like dances? Okay. Yeah. And um, sing. And I don't know. Like I was saying, like, play outside and build right, right, stuff. Right. You know? So, um, I'm curious, like, were you big into sports? Because your brothers are not really. Not they're even. not. Mm. They're not into sports at all. Really? So I started playing soccer at second grade in second grade and then i played until i graduated high school okay. and that was my sport okay yeah yeah so no yeah um no, i guess you i mean because it was it i think why i got put in it initially and i wasn't really interested in it initially but my mom was like well it's free hey. <laughs> so let's just let you do that because yeah. i wanted to take dance classes when mm. i was younger i saw my friends taking dance classes and working up to being in, in point shoes and i was like i want to do that you know but it was always a money thing okay and so i had to play soccer okay you know or do the free dance things like if our school function had a dance thing then i would do that or like some you know other opportunity yeah so grew with, with the love of dancing then yeah. Okay. Well, it was also, you know, my dad dances. Really? My dad's a great dancer. Uh-huh. He actually taught Is that the Zydeco? Zydeco dance okay, you t- for a you while. Told this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, he, uh, um, so he's from, um, I guess, Louisiana as well? Both your parents? Or? Yeah. So my mm-hmm. mom is from New York City, actually. Oh. That's a whole other story. I don't know. But so I grew around, up around my dad's family. He dances. His mom dances or danced. And then um, his sister. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I grew up dancing with him and I think that was like the only, like, I, I feel like my dad knows how to love with his food. Okay. He cooks hey. or dance. Okay. You know, he not, when you grow up in that kind of like survival kind of environment, 
there's not a lot of affection. Mm. So through food and through dance, that was kind of like how you knew like, oh, there's some love and affection here. That was kind of the appropriate mediums or the safe medium, you know, without being too vulnerable Uh. or something. (laughs) So, so yeah, I grew up like I have no memories of not dancing, you know, Mm. I've been dancing forever. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, you know, for maybe someone out there who may not be familiar with Zydeco dancing. With could, you, could you describe that? Yeah. So I know this is an international show, yeah, so yeah, we, need yeah. to, <laughs> we need to inform. Um, so Zydeco is... Um, is it first, it's the type of music, correct? Is that what it is first? Or? Well, Zydeco music and Zydeco dance are, mm-hmm, you right. know, there's both. Um it didn't, but it didn't start really getting called that. I guess until like maybe the fifties or sixties. But Zydeco music originates from Creole music in Louisiana, um, and it's French based, um, French and African based. And um, for a long time, what I understand from a lot of musicians, Creole musicians too. They'll tell you that in Louisiana, like Cajun and Zydeco, they weren't like distinguished. They weren't differentiated. Okay. They, it was just all Louisiana French music um, because the folklore was um, kind of like mixed in together. And then like during the civil rights and all these things, it started being like, all right, this is Zydeco, like this is Creole music. This is for the people with African blood or whatever. And then this is like Cajun, like for like the people who don't have that. So it started getting like more separated in that time of like the sixties or whatever. That's what I understand. I get you. Um, but it's all just like French, um, folklore music, um, from Louisiana and like a lot of the music in the Caribbean and in Latin America and in Mexico and in Texas, like with the, um, conjunto and stuff it started out with all string instruments and then Mm. later the accordion got introduced to the americas and then the sound started changing okay same thing with merengue and Uh you know dominican republic and same thing with bayonato and um conjunto like the accordion kind of changed the sound it was the same thing with louisiana music it was all like fiddle and strings Uh all the melody was coming from that sound and then the accordion and then with the piano accordion you have the rhythm and blues sound from New Orleans coming into Zydeco music. Mm, So I don't know why I'm talking about all this, but but like, this is sort of like, yeah, the, the gist. And I mean, there's so, there's so much history out there. You can learn about Zydeco. I think the best place to get the history is just talking to the people and what they remember. Yeah. You know, definitely. And so, yeah. If you could leave like and subscribe for the channel, share with the people that be there. And so, yeah, I guess tell me about um, I guess what is the dance like? It's a partner dance, correct? It is. So it's a it's a social dance. It's a partner dance. Um, it consists of like the foundation of a waltz or a two step. <laughs> it looks like that. Yeah. Um, you know, waltz one through three, and then two step. In the two-step, people say um, Zydeco kind of looks like a Haitian two-step. I'm not sure. There's a lot of supposedly Haitian influence in there okay. as well. Um, but what I when I teach Zydeco, I usually say, like, Zydeco is a two-step that got 
smushed into one place mm. because in the Cajun dance halls or in the white dance halls, there was more space to do a two-step. It okay. was more like European. So it would like go, the two-step would go around the floor, travel. And then like with Zydecoke, because you're in smaller juke joints, the two-step got smushed right, into right, place. Right. And okay. that's where like all of, you know, with limitation comes creativity. Mm-hmm. So that's where you see all the flavor. Yeah, And of course, like you're bringing in like African rhythm exactly. and stuff so you're you have more options yeah. too with that rhythmic you know layering so um yeah with yeah. words i guess that's Not the best you. way to yeah. say it and so i'm curious is that, uh, <laughs> is that how your dad got down back in the 50s and 60s so my dad started off dancing um like that juke joint swing out jitterbug okay thing um, when he was very little, him and his sister, they said they used to go to like bars and dance to the jukebox uh-huh. and then people would like pay them. I don't know if this is true, pay them to but dance? this is, oh. yeah, but this is what they say. And, um, and then during like the, so he did mostly like rhythm and blues and all that kind of stuff. Fats Domino, um, music. Um, and then I guess through the disco era, era he was like part of Fat City, which was like. In the Metairie area, okay. there was all of this, like, disco, and okay. that was a big deal, yeah, and that was hopping, <laughs> yes, and a lot of people from here will know exactly what you're talking about when you say Fat City, it was, like, all just, it was its own special little mm. time and space, Okay. Um, and he said he used to, like, go to the dance contest and yeah. win, okay. and, you know, he said... I used to be like trying to go to sleep because I had to wake up and go to work the next morning. They would call me, hey, come, you know, come down here. I need you to like, I need a good dancer to win this contest. So he would get up, put on his clothes, go to the dance, you know, and then go to work. He was really bad at that. Yes. (laughs) Work hard, play hard. That's what he said. (laughs) There you go. Hmm. And then from there, I think like also his roots were, were like Cajun dancing too. And then from there, like, I think in the 80s and 90s, there was like an upsurge of Cajun and Zydeco. And so I think um, he started to get really into it. And then um, and then he got really good at Zydeco dancing. And then people used to like pay him to, to travel and teach. Okay. And then there's also every November, there's a Zydeco cruise that leaves New Orleans. And he gets paid sometimes to teach. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. That's- that's what I'm bringing right there, huh? Yeah. Mm. And, you know, the thing, too, to recognize, I think, about social dance is that it's very connected to social partner dance. When you grow up learning dance culturally in a cultural setting, not in a class, right? it's also tied to gender roles. Mm. You know, it's so heavily so tied to culture, you know? The man is the leader. The woman is the follower. This is what it looks like. This is what you have to do. You know, um, you know, strong cultures have gender roles mm-hmm. like this, you know. So one, I feel like it's one of the shadow sides of social dance okay. is that, you know, and nowadays we say in dance classes and partner dance classes, leads and follows. Exactly. We don't say men and exactly. women because you can switch back exactly. and forth because now we're kind of taking it out of, we're evolving it. We're saying like, okay, this is a beautiful part of culture. We want to take that part, but we don't necessarily want all the gender exactly. oppression 
that comes with that. You know, we mm-hmm. want to be fluid when it comes to who wants to lead and follow and the gender behind that or the gender roles behind that. But growing up in it, I have to say, like, the gender roles were very specific. Okay. You know, a woman would never lead a man. Okay. Ever. Mm. A woman could dance with another woman. Mm-hmm. But even so, it was like you were playing. Nobody was, like, leading. I get you. I understand that. So there were, like, you know, the thing about these dances is they're connected to culture. When you're dealing with culture, you're dealing with layered things, Mm. you know? Yeah. It has its shadow side. It has its beauty. And then it has its shadow side, too, you know? I understand that. Yeah. So. I'm curious, um... How important was music in your household growing up? Very important. Yeah. Always music. So, um... And all, all kinds of music? Zydeco specifically? Yeah, or just everything? Zydeco, Louisiana music, blues, rhythm jazz. and blues. Yeah, rhythm and blues. Just that old, you know, Fats Domino style rhythm and blues okay. music. That yeah. was always, you know... Did you get tired um, of it or not even? I mean, yeah. Through my <laughs> adolescence, yeah. Because I wanted to listen to, like, Boys to Men and Mariah Carey <laughs> yeah. and Whitney Houston and no doubt, you know, I got into Gwen Stefani, no hey, doubt, and all this, that. you know, and so I wanted to listen to that. And so when we would be driving around, we would try to change the station. Yeah. My dad would be like, I can't dance to that. <laughs> if I can't dance to it, we can't listen to hey. it. And then we put it back on the danceable, what he considers danceable that he knows how to yeah, dance yeah, to, yeah. you know. So it's very like, that was always the case, mm. you know. Um... And then what we would do for fun was like festivals, you know, what you weekends, that? like, um, we would just go to festivals. Like actual, they had Zydeco or the jazz yeah, festivals? Yeah, wherever, or? wherever there was, you know, Louisiana oh, has like you. festivals all okay, throughout okay. the year. So we would just so go jazz to... jazz fest or... I mean, any of the any festivals, of, crawfish right, so. festival, shrimp and petroleum festival, okay. oyster fest, you know, all the festivals... Um, in Louisiana, always have music mm-hmm. to dance Showing to. Up, always. Um, yeah. And uh, that's what we did. Mm. That's just what we did. Yeah. No one has a, has a rotation for throwing parties, right? Or festivals, right? Yeah. Well, South Louisiana in general, you know, South Louisiana is important in that it's um, Catholic. You know, the culture in South Louisiana is Catholic which means it's very different from the rest of the South. Mm. You know, the rest of the South is, you know, don't drink, don't dance. You know, South Louisiana is like drink and dance all the time. Okay, I didn't you know, know that. Okay. so because of the Catholic traditions and holidays, okay. you know, and because of this, South Louisiana is very different mm. from the rest of the country and the rest of the South, you know. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Yeah, we, I mean, I, I it's not we're not Baptist down here, so it's like there's no um, rules against the body okay. and against dancing mm-hmm. and you I know you. and against I mean even at church functions there's alcohol you know really yes okay I mean they're probably trying to like change wine, that I now guess what, oh no honey like straight up like we drinking. Did I know that? <laughs> yes. Did I know that? Yes, yes. And I know, like, there were times where, like, they would question, like, should we be doing this, you know? But alcohol is a big part of, like, Catholic celebration. Okay. Yeah. Did I know this? 
Mm-hmm. And not even Catholic, but like French. French Catholic, you know, or just, just the whole French okay. thing. I mean, you you eat, you drink, you dance. Mm. Like, that's different. That's really different. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up bath. Um, yeah, Baptist. I guess so. That's very different. It <laughs> yeah, is. it was separate. It like is. you do your party over here, right? And then you do you know family stuff, and yeah, it's not like that. You know, mm. not in South Louisiana. No, I guess you. Me growing up, all I know is New Orleans. So I, I can already know New Orleans is quite different than anything I've, I've experienced. Yeah. So well, in that. New Orleans is different from the rest of South Louisiana too. So there's that. There's that too, but no, I understand. but it still carries that the Catholic, the French traditions, mm. you know, mm-hmm. in the African, of course, in the African and all the other like cultural. But I say French just because of the politics were under French. Exactly, it was um, under French rule at one point, so right? Yeah, they call it like the, the Napoleonic okay. Code or whatever, okay. and there's still a lot of our politics and our system that still runs in that way mm. instead of like the British way that okay. the rest of the country pretty nah, much exactly. is, I understand that. Yeah. So That's yeah, fine. for better or worse, it's just very, it's still very different. You oh, know, definitely. parishes, parishes as opposed it's to different. counties, exactly. parishes are a way to divide, um, geography, you know, parish means like is a Catholic thing. Basically. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I was confused about this one at first, but it's pretty much just a county, like you yeah. said. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. But it's parish because of, again, the, the history yeah. and the, yeah, the history of the French and the Spanish and, um, again, Catholicism. I'm curious, what about, uh, the alcohol law? Is that traced back, do you know? Did that trace back to, uh, the Napoleon times or? I mean, yeah, I just think... Alcohol is not viewed here as it, like, in the same, like, British kind of, it's just different. It is. For people who might not know, um, yeah. open container laws on the streets, right? Yeah. As long as it's not a bottle. Yeah. Walmart sells alcohol. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Everywhere sells liquor. Yeah. It's not, it's not government-run or state-run <laughs> at all. I've come from Virginia where they have ABC stores that are strictly yeah. government-ran, closed at 6 on a Friday. Right. You can't go liquor after that. Yeah, and and we, um, God, John Stewart did this on The Daily Show years ago. It was hilarious because we have drive-through daiquiri oh, and dude, alcohol dude. places all over the place. Not just like, oh, there's that place oh, that does it. It's crazy. It's everywhere. And so the caveat is they can't put the straw in the drink. They cannot give you an open straw right, right. and put it in the drink because yourself. because you can't drink and drive, <laughs> but you can literally drive through... Pick it up. A drive-through, get the alcohol, the paper around the straw separately. Separately. Thank God, because <laughs> I mean we have to save save lives here, and then pay, and then drive away with your alcohol, and then people, you know, it's just. Mm, this, that's again, I think you know, and it's South Louisiana because okay, if okay. you drive anyway anywhere down Airline Highway, you'll see all these little drive-through daiquiri oh, of places. Course, of course, yeah. I see them all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As New Orleans for you. Yeah, mm. I yeah. It's it's just part of history. It's part of yeah. Again, for better or worse, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. it's, it's that shadow side that I'm talking okay. about. You know, because with culture, you know, 
I think when you come into a social dance and you see just the dance itself, you're like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. They're so happy. I love it. You know, people come down here to New Orleans and they see Second Line. And they're like, oh my oh, God, yeah, these are the happiest people in the world. Like, oh my God, you know, and yes, it's beautiful. It's colorful. It's expressive. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a celebration of, of, um, overcoming, you know, it's a celebration of so much, but it's also got a shadow side to it, you know, which if you're not in it, you don't see it. You just see like all the beauty, like, Could Oh my you... God, this is a perfect place. Yeah. Like, you know, like, well, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, Chris, what's the, uh, can you speak on the shadow side of a second line? Or what do you The mean, shadow like? side of second line? I mean, Is that what I've, it stands for? Like, what? No, no, no. So, so the shadow, I guess the shadow would be, like, all of the, the trauma. Okay. And all of the stuff that created that expression, okay. you know? Yeah. Um. Has, has the ones always been kind of, um, I guess, a poverty? New Orleans is is just in general, I think, like a really um, heavy place. It just holds a lot. Okay. You know, and geographically, it holds a lot, right? Everything comes down and right. is, down it's like a bowl. It, it literally is. It's below sea level. So it, it is. It is. literally is. And it holds a lot of stuff. Mm. And what does that mean to hold a lot of stuff? I mean, it holds a lot of history. It holds a lot of memories. It holds a lot of um, energy, it, it, it carries a lot, you know, it's heavy. Yeah. It's got a heavy, and especially if you grow up in it, it's mm. got a weight to it. Yeah. Um, for better or worse, you know, it's also got a lot of wisdom. It mm. also has a lot of, um, again, like memories and, and heritage and, um, beauty because of what has been endured and overcome. Mm. Um, but it's definitely not a place where you think of like, um, innovation and progress. Okay. And I, I, you know I, what I, I mean? I like you that. don't think you don't put that with New so, Orleans. Yeah, so kind of you New put Orleans like a rich history yeah. and culture with New Orleans, mm. you know, I understand that. And I agree with that. Definitely. Yeah. I want to, I'm curious how long, and I want to get to, we'll get to it, but you know, your time in, you know, maybe California or like Ecuador, how that, how that was different. But, um, mm -hmm. I guess before we get to that, say, you know, you're growing up in, in Louisiana and everything. What happens after you graduate high school? After I graduate high school? Well, I, because, um, my brothers didn't go to college. I wanted to go to college. Okay. Um, my dad was like, well, why, why are you going to do that? He wanted you to go to the uh, <laughs> chemical plants or what? I mean, well, that would have been immediately lucrative, yes. Mm -hmm. But he also said, you know, why don't you become a doctor or a lawyer? You know, why would you go to college unless you're going to do something like okay, that? Okay, okay, okay. You know? Yeah. Um, because in his world, you know, he moved up he barely graduated high school he moved up in this company with just that education to being a project manager okay. in these plants which as we know makes a lot of money and he he moved his way up Without from pipe fitter yeah hmm. from pipe fitter to millwright and all these you know welder 
supervisor, superintendent, you know? And so in his world, he's like, why are you going to do all of that unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer? Like, he doesn't understand, like, the the academic world is very Mm. foreign to him. But my idea, you know, and I'm a dreamer, so I'm... I'm like, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to learn all the things. And I've, and I found out that you could study anthropology. And I was like, because I was fascinated by culture. Like in high school, I would go to Barnes and Nobles and sit in the world music section. This is when you still bought CDs and you listen to them. And I would just sit there and listen to all the music in the world and like all the music from Latin America and Africa, like appealed to me. Right. Because it had that, like that strong rhythm mm. and I was just like I felt like I was like traveling to different places okay. by listening to music yeah, all the music the experience of it and so like when I found out you could study anthropology I was like well why would I study anything else yeah. you know and I wasn't thinking like oh well is it lucrative right, and is right, it gonna right. make money I was just like this is what I love so I studied that and then I studied dance and um in my in my mind, like, that's what made sense, you know, mm-hmm. anthropology and dance, because mm-hmm. that's me. Like, yeah. that's just me. So I studied it. And mm-hmm. then all of my anthropology projects had dance elements to it, and all my dance mm-hmm. projects had anthropology and cultural elements to it. And um, I just kept, like, cross-pollinating yeah. the two. You were able to mix, I guess, what you love, though, right? Yeah. Dancing and other cultures. Yeah. Um, and a lot of professors at, in college took me under their wing and, um, saw like all this potential in me, I guess, you know, and just wanted, like, wanted to make sure I didn't lose that love okay. and light yeah. that I had, like about, you know, about dance in the world. Cause even right now talking about it, like, I feel like hey. all of it, you know, yeah. like it's, um, it's something that just makes sense to me, okay. you know? Yeah. So you like, went to LSU, right? I went to first. I went to UNO and then I transferred okay. to LSU okay, after. Okay. But I did graduate from LSU. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and just had some really great people who who mentored me and um, you know, kind of just told me like, yeah, like you got it. Because my family was like, what the, f- <laughs> what are you doing? Right, like, right, what? Right. You can't live like this. Like you're gonna die. You know? Because again, like the survival thing. And so, like, so they were they were not supportive of uh, your degree. No. And my all. mom actually just stopped talking to me at really? one point. She was like, "I just can't with this." Okay. You know. Um, and at that point, you know, she had been living in Florida for a while. So um, my parents also are not together. Okay. So I kind of just gravitated towards like my dad's side of the family because, again, my mom is from New York and she's from a big Sicilian mm-hmm. family. So that's okay. a whole other cultural yeah, thing. Yeah. And actually, I think that's what like started that fascination for me at a young age because both of my parents were so culturally different. And I think it was that they both grew up Catholic that Mm -hmm. saved it, that made it work until it didn't work. But, um, but the cultural stuff was so, so different. Okay. Okay. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's what kind of sparked it. Like I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is going on here? You know, like I'm, like growing up in South Louisiana, but my mama don't look like everybody else's okay. mama because mm. I don't have that mama. You know, no. my dad <laughs> makes sense in this landscape, but my mom is like, you know, don't be a wise guy. You know, yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> just so much cultural information. You know, mm-hmm. I and that. I think a lot of people who you know immigrate or 
um, whatever, like have that cultural stuff growing up, those like cultural um, discrepancy or mm-hmm. cultural vibe, like m- conflicts of, oh, co- right of worldview yeah. in their life. They start to question and understand and see the world differently. You know, yeah, like these two opposing, uh, I guess, ideas. Or yes, like, there's yeah. two totally different ways to see the world, mm. and I'm being like, and they're my parents, and I'm like, you know, I understand that. Yeah, that kind of what makes you who you are, right? That upbringing. of course, yeah. and I think it also just sparked this like fascination at a young age. Like, what is this? What are we doing? Mm. You know, yeah. Like, what is, what is any of this? Like, how how is it that they're both my parents, but then they're so different, you know? Mm -hmm. And then as I travel and as I begin to travel, I think the one paradox that just continues to amaze me is like, we are all the same, but we are all different. And how is that? It's a paradox. And it's, and it's so humbling Mm. because you're like, I'm no matter where I go, I'm going to meet a human and that human is going to have all the human stuff like I have because right, I'm right. human. Yeah. So they got all the human feelings, you know, but then right. like me and you, right? We're like humans. Right. So we're like, oh, I get you because we're <laughs> human. But then at the same time, like we see the world so of different, course. so different. Your experience as a black man different. is so, <laughs> so you see the world in such a different way than I could ever see. Exactly. And you as well. Right. Um, so it's like that that paradox like it just continues to amaze me. And the more I travel, the more I'm just like wow. Okay. Yeah. But the more I'm like fascinated by it, I'm like the more like I want more of that paradox, mm-hmm. you know? Like the more of the mystery. Yeah, okay. It's like uh forever questioning like forever student away. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I want to hear about, I guess, your time at Baton Rouge or any other issue, you know. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you as a student? What was um, Baton Rouge is a very red city. What and, you mean by that? Um, Republican. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but LSU is this little pocket of, like, curiosity and mm-hmm. open-mindedness. Okay. Um if you get in the right pockets in that pocket, I guess. Um, and that's always been hard for me. I think, um, discrimination, racism, um, gender roles that say women can't do certain things have always really bothered me from a very young age, from a very young age. Um, and a lot of growing up, in the South, although South Louisiana is different from a lot of other parts of the South, it's still the South. And there's still a lot of like blatant, um, discrimination and social challenges and, um, either to be inside of it or be on the outside of it, looking in, it was always an issue for me. Mm. Um, so that, that was, that was challenging. I think about living in Baton Rouge, um, which is why I wouldn't want to um go back there. Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't want to. But the but the school itself and I didn't really want to go to LSU, but the school itself just called me because I in Louisiana you have what's called um top scholarship where you get your tuition paid for right. if your grades in high school were 
pretty good. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you stay in a state, Louisiana state school, um, then you can get your tuition paid so, for. Was the LSU a free ride for you? Yeah, that's for awesome. the most part. Okay. For the most part. But not, it doesn't cover everything, but okay. yeah. I mean, that's still a blessing, though. It is. Oh, man. But I had to stay here to do it. So there was, my mind was like, oh, I want to go okay. like to California okay, and go to school okay. and I want to go here and there and there. And I didn't have the guidance and the resources and the mm-hmm. support to really like navigate that and scholarships and all that stuff. So I just kind of like got channeled into that, okay. you know, oh, this is what I can do. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I navigated it the best way I could have. I think, yeah. um, as a 18 year old who right. didn't know what. <laughs> what I was doing. I think looking back on it though, just not to have <laughs> incurred that much debt though. I think that, that, yeah. that's something I think you'll be appreciative of. Yeah, I, I still been. do have a lot though okay. because I ended up going um, a semester over okay. and then also took out loans for for like living expenses and mm. stuff like that along the way. Okay. So there's still like some student loan debt there, but not as much as okay. there, there would be. Yeah, yeah. of course, of course. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious mm-hmm. to hear about, um, say you graduate LSU with, you know, bachelor's in anthropology and dancing, correct? Not a master's, a bachelor's. Bachelor's, right, right, yeah. yeah, yeah sure enough. Um, mm-hmm. I believe you go to, do you go to Ecuador after that? Or yeah. Like what happens? So I briefly, um, worked in the inner city schools in Baton Rouge teaching dance. Okay. Um, briefly as I was finishing up my um, Peace Corps application process, which okay. takes um, several months to a year. It takes a while to get through it. And um, and then I get this envelope in the mail because everything was still on paper. And it's like, Ecuador. And I was like, all right, I'm going to Ecuador. So I, I don't know much about the Peace Corps. You yeah. didn't have an option? Did they tell you where you're going? So my experience was that I went through the um, the application process and the interview process and based on everything that you talk about with the people um you get assigned a country okay Mm -hmm. so were you excited for ecuador or what i didn't i didn't know anything about ecuador i was but i was excited for anything i just told them i was like just don't send me to east europe okay because i can't freeze my ass hey i understand that and i was like I'm gonna be good though wherever yeah, I go. Yeah, you know, I was like yeah. preferably the equator. You know, and uh-huh. then I get Ecuador, and I'm like, all right, I'm right on the there equator. So yeah, I got yeah, yeah. this like envelope with all the stuff about Ecuador, and I'm like, I'm going to Ecuador. And then I start like getting books from the library, and this is before like internet mm-hmm. was like the main source of right, getting right, right. information. So I went to the um, library and got all these books on Ecuador, and I was like, ah, oh, Ecuador, I'm gonna love it. Did you, you know. Right? I did. Okay. So um, the Peace Corps was a really significant part of my life because um, I just wanted to leave. Like, I think I just wanted to leave so badly. That's and it. I wanted to just be like dumped into a another culture and integrate into it and learn another language and just be there and mm. work there yeah. and just live mm. there. And um and so my experience was is that we went through a short training in Miami, and then we went through a three-month training in the mountains in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, they sent the group that I went with, they sent us all to our sites mm-hmm. by ourselves. And I think a lot of people you're think solo. the Peace Corps is like you're in a group, and you're like doing things together, and you're living together. No. So like JFK's vision of the Peace Corps um, was that, 
an American would go, a person from the United States, let me say that, because American can, a person from the United States would go right. and be by themselves in a community for two years or more, however the service lasts, and integrate in the community. And that would create peace. Okay. Right? So, and that was his vision. And I really, like, took that to heart when mm. I went in it. So I was like, I just want to be in my community and integrate. And so I did. And the closest volunteer for me was about an hour away. Okay. On a bus. Yeah. Um, so you, you truly were solo. Yeah. You live in your community and you work in your community. And sometimes it overlaps where there's a volunteer, like, leaving soon in your site. And mm. you kind of overlap. I and they you. kind of, like teach you show what they know yeah they show you the ropes like don't do that like <laughs> see that dude he's crazy you know like <laughs> go you blessed, here you, you know to have that or yes no? so okay. so the volunteer that was in my site that was on her way out her name was rachel and she she was great okay. she was really like integrated awesome. she was really great and um so by the time she left i felt like okay like this is my site like mm. i live here it's yeah. it's like i never um I don't know. I didn't feel unsafe. Um, yeah. And there was another volunteer, I think, in my group who was sent to the same site, but she left. I don't know. So there's always a lot of moving pieces right, of, like, right. testing things out and experimenting with, with different things. Um, but for the most part, I was the only volunteer in my site. Okay. Um, and, you know, there... So the volunteers who we trained with, they would kind of like organize little meetups and parties where they would come out of their site and like get together and drink and be like, oh my God, you know, sharing stories and like all that. But I never went to them. I was like, I just want to stay in my community. Y'all have fun. Yeah, okay. Because I was just loving it. So I, where I got sent, it was a um, very small Afro-Ecuadorian community. And you don't think of Ecuadorians being mm-hmm. of African right, descent right. because there's such a small amount of um, Ecuador that is of Afro descent. But um, I got sent specifically to this community and I knew like I was like, of course, y'all would send me there because it's basically like the New Orleans of Ecuador. Oh, you know, wh- it's where all the that? flavor is. What's the name of it? It's called Esmeraldas okay. and it's um, right below the... Um, border of Colombia. Oh. And from what I understand from this African American historian and anthropologist, I'm not sure where he's based, but we were emailing back and forth for some time when I first got there. And he told me that the, some of the slaves in Colombia that escaped actually settled there in Esmeraldas. And that's mm. basically what you have there is like just some really strong, resilient, like, escaped slaves yeah, right and right. so that's kind of their history and they're a very strong um capable people um and they kind of integrated with the chachis which were the indigenous people in ecuador so we, you have really beautiful um people in that area mm. and um a really interesting um folklore and history and um you know mixture with Catholicism again because you have the Spanish and African and the Chachi, the indigenous. So you see a lot of like I'm getting the chills talking about it because you see a lot of parallels okay. here. Similarities again. Yeah. And so I'm just like, 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. <laughs> You're excited. Um, yeah, the food, you know, the food, the music, the life, the so much of it. And then they live on a river. Oh. That's big. They're probably big fishers, right? Yeah. Seafood. Yeah. Sure. Seafood, rice, plantain. Okay. And yeah. Humid as New Orleans, hot as New Orleans, or, or yeah, the well, it's not as humid, um, and it's not as hot. It's really like it's just really basically a rainy season and a dry season okay. is what they have down there um, because it's on the equator. It stays right. pretty much warm, right? Yeah, yeah, but not too hot. I That's remember cool. it being like upper eighties. Okay, um, it was for me. It was perfect. Mm. I was in heaven. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And I integrated immediately because, like, I just started dancing. As soon as I got there, I was like, let's dance. Like, I was like, let's just dance. I'm dancing. Like, you know, like, they, of course, they have reggaeton on the radio. And then they love salsa. They love, like, the, um, they love uh, Puerto Ricans also a lot. And then they have the Bayanato from Colombia. And then they have um, their own um, marimba music which was like their, that's their cultural, you know, stuff. And it's basically, um, you know, like a balafone, xylophone thing mm-hmm. um, that they make with their wood down there called chonta wood, and it has a special sound to it. And then they have different drums for different occasions. Some of it is sacred, some of it is secular, depending okay. on the time and place. Oh. Um, but I got really, like, integrated with that and just... Um, Learning the drums and dancing okay. with them. That sounds quite an experience though, down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're down there for what, two years or how long? I was in Esmeraldas for um, a little over two years. Okay. Yeah. And what brought you back? You know, it's interesting. Like, I always tell people, well, my service was done, so I came back. But honestly, there was a point at the end where I was like, do I live here? Like, do I live here and stay here? Because I loved it so much. Mm. And so many people towards the end of my service were like, you should put your little dance school. Everybody would go to Jesse's dance school. And I'm like, I know that, but like, could I actually make a living? And also I was just thinking, am I okay with like being a big fish in a small pond kind of thing? Because I still want to do more training and Mm. I still want to learn more. Um, you know, and of course I could learn a lot. I could continue to learn about their culture and their stuff. And that would be a continuous learning process. But as far as like the art form of dance and all that, I felt like I had to come home and like fulfill that part of my dream. Real quick. I'm curious. What, what were, because what were something like your day-to-day duties or activities back in Ecuador? Like yeah. How, how, what were, you, were you working? Or? Yeah. So my work looked like a lot of things at different times. So, um, initially I got sent there to work with, um, an organization that works with children that work on the street. So, um, they say education is free, but most kids don't go to school. So they work, you know? So I got sent there initially to work, um, trying to matriculate them and get them in the school and literate. Um, and, but and at the same time accepting that maybe they wouldn't have the resources to go to school and how what's the best way to support them working as mm. children mm. working and providing for their family what's the best way to support that reality okay. um nutrition hygiene 
um, all the things, um, you know, HIV, drug awareness, all the all the things. Okay. Um, there's a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different. Um, very different worldview and very different um, orientation to life. Um, and so I guess in, in working with that foundation, initially, I started to learn about all the barrios. Is that you know, right? Mm-hmm. All the different neighborhoods along the river and who likes who and who's okay. allies and who's mm. rivalries and all about the gangs. And I got to learn a lot about Esmeraldas by working with all these children mm-hmm. um, and meeting their parents yeah. and understanding about their lives. So that was a really good, like, kind of initial place to start to understand because one of my concerns about doing community development work is that, like, I don't go imposing what I think. Of course, at that time, I was still, like, really young. Mm. You know, I was, like, 20. One or twenty-two. I was very young and naive and full of good intentions, you know. But like, I think I still had this concern of like, I don't want to impose what I think you need. I want you to tell me how I can help you. I want you to tell me like what I can do, because I don't. My also my concern was I don't want to leave and have whatever I do not be sustainable. True. You know, if I leave, then everything we did just stops and every you know, like for then what's the point? Exactly. I guess like the people and you know, and I used to voice my concerns to like the staff in the Peace Corps, you know, people, um, and they would say, well, like you just being there, you know, does so much more than you could think. You know, you just going in these classrooms and in these barrios, you know, and I get that. Like there are certain things that is, there's certain things that get transferred, you know, that stay. But I mean, for me to like, I guess, make the time and the energy like work something. I just like, you know, wanted the work to be sustainable. And I think the relationships we're going to be sustainable just because I was so like wanting to connect. Mm -hmm. And so that I still keep in touch with all of them. Um, all the people that I worked with and just fell in love with, um, you know, I did work at a women's prison for a while. Um, I did small business work with mothers. I did, um, cultural preservation work with the dancers and the musicians, um, talking about like how they could sustain themselves you know, like, um, how they could have a space of their own, how they can, you know, take ownership and not be exploited. There's a lot of like, you know, there's a question when you're dealing with like these rich cultures, like of exploitation and, of course. um, so how can they like create an infrastructure around themselves so that when people come in, they can say, Oh, actually this is the this is the process that you have to go through to get us to perform or to get us to, you know, instead of like, oh, you're going to pay us like some change. Okay, we'll go because we're on survival mode. We'll take whatever. Mm-hmm. So like kind of like working with them and that. And that was some really like, I learned a lot actually with that. Um, writing grants with them just like opened up this whole thing of like um, autonomy. Like, oh, if we write grants, then we can actually like have some... Um, it's an empowering thing to receive a grant and then, you know, be able to say, this is what, um, we want to do and not like just beg for like money as we go. But like, 
write a grant, be clear on what we want to do, receive the grant and like carry this project out. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, um, I don't know, a way to take ownership and a way to um, establish themselves as like professionals mm-hmm. um, and not just like this novelty. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. But that, you know, again, that was like a learning process for me too. I believe it. I don't feel like I was some expert, although a lot of them would come to me and ask me for things. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, but it was interesting just being from the United States and knowing what we know about money and budgeting and all these things that we learn just because of the way our culture is, like that we have something to offer. Right. Um, and of course, everybody wants to learn English. Yeah, I said that they you know, probably was strictly Spanish down there, correct? Or? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, they're Spanish, too. Uh, different? Yeah, because mm-hmm. when I got there, I was like, what y'all talking okay. about? Okay, that, that's yeah. quite a barrier That's well. like if somebody were to come like to the third ward and try to learn English. Or like Opelousas or like the River Road and try to learn English. It's like, yeah, if you learn British English in a school and you come over here, it's like, good luck. (laughs) So that was cool though, you know, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, the thing, the most powerful part about Peace Corps for me, was just integrating and just living within a worldview that wasn't my own. And it was constantly, um, you know, people say like, oh my God, the bugs and the weather and the malaria and all the things. And it's like, you know, that wasn't even the challenging part. Okay. You know, I got sick a lot. Really? Food poison and giardia and dengue fever and parasites all the time. Really? Yeah, just so sick. <laughs> so but like, but that wasn't really like the hard, the hard part was like the cultural stuff, you know, and the communicating, you know, and the meeting of worldviews and making sure that like, I didn't lose myself in trying not to offend anyone, Mm -hmm. but also was mindful and culturally sensitive not to offend. It was like this constant reconciliation of, um, of worldviews. And I think that, you know, that was, that's the challenging part. That's quite challenging. Definitely. Cause you're living there. Right. You're not on vacation. Yeah. You're living there. there. That Mm -hmm. was where I lived. You have no, no close neighbors really. Right? So then this person was an hour away, right? Oh, well, the other volunteers. Right, the volunteers. Right, yeah. Right, right, right. But yeah. I had neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But someone who you could relate to, I guess. Right, right. exactly. And when we could meet up, we that's what we talked about. Because um, she, was, she was around the same age as I was. And, um, yeah, so we had a lot to talk about. I believe it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. curious to know. Um, so you said you, you, you come back. Yeah, big aspirations. Is it from mm-hmm. there that you go to California or San Diego or what happens? No. So, okay. I come back. I go to Toronto. I start oh, okay. working with, a, apprenticing with a dance company up there that was um, run. I don't think it's still going. It's, it was called Coba. And it was um, actually a dear friend of mine, Ruben, was in grad school up there. So I kind of focused on on that because I wanted to be around so you a friend. Be equated to the north. Yes, <laughs> what Toronto was so cold. So I went up there. I briefly um, worked uh, for a few months with this dance company, um, and then 
came back and then went to DC to um, work as an intern with Dance Place. Okay. Which is like a dance hub, dance organization in DC um, that a woman named Carla Perlo founded with somebody else, and I'm blanking on her name. Sorry. Um, but so I interned with with that organization for several months, um, almost a year, and um, learned a lot about what it takes to run a dance organization mm. that has a studio component, that has an in-reach and outreach component, meaning that you're bringing children in right. and you're going out and teaching in different entities. Um, it had a um, dance performance venue component, so okay. it was also a place that put on productions, like annual dance mm. productions. Okay. So, it, so it was a studio. It, was, it had all of these components to it. It had ensembles, it had companies, dance companies within it, meaning um, groups that professionally perform. Um, And a lot of the staff were dancers and choreographers, and they just sustained themselves. But so this was a dance, a nonprofit dance organization that ran off of grants. And um, as an intern there, I just kind of soaked it up. And I was like, I'm going to New Orleans and I'm going to start a com- or an organization that okay. looks like this. Because okay. it wasn't my dream to have a studio. Mm. It was my dream to have an organization okay. that did work on different levels. Um, that honored dance as an art form, as a cultural expression, as a healing um, medium mm-hmm. for healing. Um, as a community development, a medium for community development. So like all these components. So I came back here after being in DC and just kind of grinded a lot, uh-huh. trying to understand New Orleans again, because I hadn't lived here since uh, um, three or four years since my undergrad right. when I first started my school. So it, before Katrina, so this is like this is like me coming back into New Orleans after Katrina and trying to understand the city and how it's mm-hmm. changed so much since well, then. Changed a lot, right? a lot. I, I, I want. I'm very eager to hear. How did your How did Katrina affect your family? So my family, I had some family in Lakeview, some family in Mid City. The family in Lakeview, um, most of them moved away okay. and didn't come back. The family in Mid City. They um, they were able to rebuild their house and stay there. Okay. Um, yeah, and definitely coming back into the city after the storm was very weird. Come on. That's a whole other story, though, and I don't even know if we have time. I but um, so when I came back from D.C., I came, you know, back into the city and tried to understand the landscape and connect with all these entities, um, dance entities and spaces. And, um, you know, I just started dreaming, like I started dreaming, like how can we have something like dance place in DC Mm. where it's a performance venue where there's like, um, you know, tech sound where, where we can do artist residencies, where we can have in reach, outreach, youth programming, studio for adults, um, all the things like this all encompassing dance organization like dance place. But what does that look like here in new Orleans? Mm -hmm. And I just started dreaming. Then I started teaching dance in the charter schools around the city. And I would go to like a few charter schools through the week and teach dance, um, through young audiences and community works, which, um, places teaching artists in the schools, which is something that I did in Baton Rouge and then something I did in DC. So I just continue to do that here for livelihood. Um, and then I met um, Laura Stein, 
And when I met her, she was like, tell me about your vision. I told her, I was like, okay, dancing rounds. <laughs> like I basically just like had this baby right mm -hmm. in me. And I was like, okay, their name is dancing rounds. <laughs> you know, I like, I had the logo somewhat designed at that time, the name, the, the idea, the vision, um, based on this organization in DC. And then we just started, we just started doing little things here and there. She um, created a dance studio out of her living room. So we just started doing events in her living room, basically. Um, and meeting with people, holding community forums, because one of the things that I didn't want to do, and this is all Peace Corps based stuff. One of the things I didn't want to do was come and just impose something. Right. I recognize that, yeah, New Orleans is my city. It's the city that I claim because it's a city that I know. However, there's a lot about New Orleans that I don't know, and I haven't lived here. Right, right, right. And oh, wow. I need to understand what is going on already. What are people doing already, and what are the needs? Right, right, right. Like, is there a need for this organization? You know? Like, I, I want to birth it, but, like, is, it, is there a need for it here? And so we started holding, one, one of the things that was really important to me was to hold community dance forums, was just to invite all of the dance entities, the dancers, the choreographers who have been here into this, you know, conversation mm -hmm. of like, what would a dance hub and a dance organization look like in New Orleans, you right. know, and how could it serve and what do we need? What's, what's the thing that we need? And one of the, the, the big part of the vision was to be inclusive because New Orleans is known for being exclusive and territorial. Oh, 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 they're doing that, so I'm going to go over here and do that. Oh, they're doing that, so I'm going to go over here. And then after a while, you have all these little entities with walls up around mm -hmm. it. And you can't get down. Yeah. And you know, you've been in New Orleans long enough to know that that's true. And yeah. it's still true. It's not as true as it used to be, but it's still true. And so part of the vision was to be like, um, guys, <laughs> if we do some stuff together, if we share some stuff, like we actually can get more done, Definitely. but there's a lot of cultural and historical and social and racial stuff in, in all of that. Of so it's not as easy. It's, it's easier said than done. Um, and so there was a lot of cultural sensitivity that has to go into this kind of work. Um, but we started moving really fast. We got our 501c3 really fast. And for me, it moved way too fast, actually. Mm. I was like, slow down. Like, I think the most important thing is to show up to do good work, to create um, healthy relationships, and then let it grow up naturally. Right, right, right. You know, I didn't want to like pour miracle grow on it. I just wanted it to be organic. Yeah. And that was one of my words, like organic, do good work. That was how I wanted to grow it. But I think there was a lot of excitement in, in making it happen. And it grew really fast. Um, and then shortly after we got our 501c3, maybe a year after, I got married. And then I moved to California. Mm. So I moved to California because I got married. Okay. Because he was in the military. Mm. And then from there, I kind of like branched off from Dancing Grounds. I was on the board for a little while and stayed in conversation. But at this point, Dancing Grounds was definitely like the vision was kind of curbing towards um, Laura's vision, okay. the other co-founder. And I kind of stepped out. Okay. So it's almost like I gave custody over sure of my child to one parent and I left. And it was really, really hard because it was my baby. Of course. Um, and it still is my baby, but it's growing up in a in a way that 
um, that I, I guess that's what the community needs, you know? Mm. Um, and then a lot of the vision did go to the wayside that a lot of parts of the vision that were mine did go to the wayside when I left because it was mine. Um, but the parts that, that are still there are, um, the youth programming, the see, adult, the yeah. adult studio, um, dance for social change. Like these things are, are still going. Right, right, yeah. Right. And so that's cool. It's doing good work. Yeah. And that's all that like, I can hope for, okay. you know. So, I, I yeah. definitely know um, Joshua Hernandez. I know he does his journey mm-hmm. from there as well. Yeah. At one point, yeah, he still does. And I've taken plenty of classes at Dance Grand. It's a very nice yeah. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a special place, and people all over the country know about it okay. now. Shout you know, out. you talk to dancers, and they're like, Dancing Grounds. And I'm like, oh, hey, hey, hey. Shout out. Yeah. So, I'm curious. Um, so, you know, I guess you go off to California you come back um, and I, I guess I, I started noticing when the Kizomba thing I believe Kizomba yeah yeah, Kizomba. yeah so I came back um, I traveled a little bit through Asia and okay. did some stuff and then I went to Philly for a while and then I um, went to um, through Europe for a while I did an artist residency in Bulgaria and then I came back home okay you're quite Almost, the yeah and then I came back home almost two years ago now. And so when I was in Europe, I went to Lisbon. Oh, and it was an right? accidental... It wasn't... Yes, Lisbon, Portugal. It was an accidental trip, actually. Mm-hmm. I wasn't planning to go to Lisbon. But something happened with the flights where I ended up in Lisbon. And I stayed for a month. Because yes. I fell in love with Kizomba and Samba and all the immigrants from... Angola. Angola, but Cabo Verde... Um, Cabo Verde, um, Brazil, Angola, yeah. I mean, like, the sounds and the movements and yeah. everything. And I don't usually, like, sit down and watch people okay. dance in those environments, but I was just like, this is so beautiful. Like that, that zoop music right away. Yes. Well, it was like, I mean, Peter can explain all the ins and outs of the music, but there was a lot of, um, there was a band from Cabo Verde, Cape Verde that would play um, a lot at this place that I went to. There was um, Kizomba Night. There was, um, you know, different. I mean, they knew, like, mm-hmm. all the differences course, between yeah, it. They yeah. would have DJs and bands some nights. Um, I just loved it all. Yeah. Like, I don't know all the nuances behind all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so but yeah, I know I know this one they said the capital for Kizomba. Yes. And Samba. And, yeah, yeah. oh, so, so that's where you first picked it up then? Or you, yeah, you well, it? I felt... Well, that's not where I noticed it. I've been oh. knowing about it for some time. But okay. I think that's where... Because I ended up there, because I ended up in Lisbon, I was like, all right, this is what I'm about to do here. Because yeah, I yeah. knew, like, it was here. And I was like, okay, this is... Um, yes, this is about mm-hmm. to go down. Yeah, and that's what I did. As as many nights of the week as mm-hmm. I could, that's I went. That's awesome. That's the best place to do it, too. Yes. And I just, like, slurped it up yeah, like yeah. soup. Just... It was so beautiful and so juicy and... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then so when I came back here, I was like, all right, I think we have Kizomba. Like, I think I heard something because I know Peter had been doing it a I little mean, bit. I think, I think Sergio may have started it first. Okay. Sergio and Mayumi. 
Okay. And then Peter took on to okay. after Sergio. Okay. Got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I knew that there was somebody doing something mm-hmm. Keys on Bar related. And actually, I think um, Troy Anthony might have been the first one. You know Troy? Oh, yes. Yeah. So Troy, oh, that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. So before the storm, I used to watch Troy and Georgette dance on Frenchman Street. This is before oh, Katrina. And that's that. actually where I initially started. This was before Peace Corps. I was still a teenager. I used to, like, that's where I first started absorbing, like, all the Latin dance oh. and stuff. On Frenchman Street. So Frenchman Street pre Katrina was a beast. It was okay. so good. It was. It's, is it? It's different now. It's different. It is. It's so different. It's so People different. Have been, I don't know. It's, it's, I it's it fluffy. It's it's kind of tacky now. It used to be more grounded. It used Dang. to be higher quality. Okay. It used to be just less it used to be less tainted with with tourism and partying it used to be more about the music it used to be more about yeah i'm curious how is um how has canal street changed if at all has that changed canal oh canal street has changed a lot yeah it's definitely has like those kind of touristy businesses and shops more than it did before Mm -hmm. and and even before i but that started happening before i was born like canal street used to be very fancy very 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 fancy yes this is where you got your suit tailored and your hat and your Mm. you know canal street used to be very fancy and then little by little it started to get a little casual i would say like all right not as fancy and then um now it's just straight up like tourist shops and stuff like it's 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 like kind of i don't know i mean they did put the sazerac museum there which seems like a way to kind of like commemorate some cultural something or another but i don't know canal street is yeah and what about bourbon has bourbon always been like that or you know bourbon is bourbon yeah i think it'll always be that i don't know I understand. Just curious. Yeah. It's, it's not, still I, like I, I actually walked down Bourbon Street about a week ago or so, and I was like, the "This is the was. same. Oh. This is the same." I remember <laughs> as a little kid looking at all the stuff, being like, "Oh God, yeah. you know, like it's the same." It's the same. That's Bourbon Street, show. Sure <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> to me, that. to me, I don't mm. know. Somebody else might have a different take mm. on it, but it seems that. the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you but yeah, back. so Kizoma. So I got here. I was like, I have to find who's doing it. I found Peter. I started taking um, some classes with him. And um, it was so exciting. But mm-hmm. then at the same time, I'm like, God, I wish we had a community. Mm-hmm. You it's know? still small. Even it's so small. It's so small. Even and and with Kizomba, you want to like have that synergy you know you want to have more people you don't want to have that cold feeling because kizomba's warm you know like when i would go to these clubs in lisbon it was so warm and like so many people like in the height of the night which is about like midnight or 1 a.m like the place is packed and it's everybody's sweating and it's so good you know and then so i guess like that's the bittersweet part is that we do have it here but it's just very small and no and when you go to lisbon you're like you can't help but compare to that experience you know yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so you you come back you're disappointed by the hizumba scene well i wouldn't say disappointed (laughs) i wouldn't say disappointed because yeah i would just say like Underwhelmed or what? Underwhelmed. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. My sense. I'm, I'm curious. How did you go on? Or I guess, how did uh, 
you get introduced to compa. You know, where did that come about? Compa, that happened a long time ago too, around my teens. So, oh. um, I had some Haitian friends here in New Orleans, and they introduced me to it. Um, this was before the storm when I was younger. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, the thing about all the Caribbean stuff is that that was kind of always in my space. Oh. Um, um, but in my teens, I really got into it. You mm. know, in my teens, I really got into, you know, listening to the the sounds of compa and um, and soca and um, like soca. and just like dance hall and, you know, salsa, bachata, you know. I never really enjoyed merengue, and I don't okay. know what that is. But even when I got into it and started like learning about Latin rhythms, merengue was always that one where I'm like, I'm bored, and okay. I know somebody is probably gonna watch right. this and be like, shame on you, shame you know? You. Because I know that merengue has its own like sweetness and richness, but it just maybe I haven't, um, yeah. Um, but but like samba like, too. Like samba like. was something that I was like really into. Brazilian That's music. Brazilian. Right, right, right. Um, I was doing capoeira as an undergrad, okay. so I got into that. You know, um, anything. I mean, all of it. Just like, like soak it, it up. Yeah. And like I said, when I was a teenager, I would go to Barnes and Nobles and like listen to all these sounds. You know, um, all this international music. Um, yeah, and so same thing with um, Brazilian Zouk, which is hilarious. Kind of new. Yeah, that was Especially when New I, Orleans. huh? I would say new to New Orleans. Though. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But my first experience with Brazilian Zouk was in 2006. Oh wow! I was in Buenos Aires. Um, I was in Buenos Aires and I went to this Brazilian club because I wanted to do like samba ashe and samba and all those things. Well, one night I walk into it because Buenos Aires is a hard place to to dance because at that time it was all like oomch, 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 oomch. And I was like, cannot. Like that is not juicy enough for me, you know. So I went to this Brazilian club hoping to find some juiciness. And one night I walk in and there's like hair going everywhere. And I'm like, what are they doing like what is this and then this australian guy took me and he was like come on and i'm like i don't know what this is and i started like salsa dancing to it he's like this is not salsa i'm like i don't really know how to not do salsa at this point you know at that point i was so young (laughs) (laughs) i was like 20 or 21 i don't know it was i was very young and um just um didn't really couldn't really understand brazilian zoo but like little by little like he was like, it's basically like a child of lambada, you know, and all this stuff. So we right. did like lambada and he taught me in that way. And still to this day, like I'm when I see Brazilian Zouk, I'm like, I don't know about this. Mm. Like I have some resistance, but less and less. Like okay. I, I, I find there's a sweetness to it in that like anybody can lead and follow. It's very like intimate and experiential and um, experimentative and... Um, it kind of feels like contact improvisation, like modern dance. Like it feels like all these things that, um, that I trained in when I was training, um, is 
it feels m closer to the art form of dance. It's okay. like a combination of like the art form of dance and social dance. Mm. So if I could just get like, this isn't how I like to social dance out of my head okay. and just step into it mm. as a combination of like experimentation in the art form of dance and social dance, then like I have a great time doing it. Yeah, it's got, it's yeah. got quite a connection as well. Not mm -hmm. as... I feel like not as like gooey or good as Kizomba, mm -hmm. but it's got a good connection as well. Yeah, Especially it can. Especially really good dance with that mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, and when yeah. Tina did the Weekender here in New Orleans um, and all the dancers from other places uh, came yeah. here, uh -huh. it was really cool because... You went to I, it? Yeah. Awesome. How was yeah, that? it was beautiful awesome. because I got to just throw myself into mm. um, and integrate. Yeah. There's that word again. Yeah. Integrate into like just this culture that they've created yeah. here in the Tina United Bay. States Tina's, with around Brazilian Zouk. Yeah. And so um, just dancing with all these people, great leads. I believe it. I know it. Really great leads. I know it. I was like, all right, because I have to, there has to be a trust there. Of course. But that's what the And so are. when you have a good lead. I think you know, a, as a, the, follow. a good lead or a good dance can maybe inspire you to want to do the dance more. Yes. Like, yeah. 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 And that's what's cool about Pierre. You know, like he, you know, same thing with Josh. Like when, when they show up as like a teacher and like a community builder, you know, that's when like, you yeah. know. Yeah. That's when follows start to trust and show up. The issue with that, though, is that, like, now we're saturated with a bunch of follows and, and no leads. <laughs> is, that, is that just the dance community in general, the social dance community in general? You More know what? That's community? not the social dance community when you're dealing with culture. Like, when it's in the culture, that's not the Everyone thing. Everyone does it there. But when you're taking a cultural dance out of its cultural context and putting it in the studio, that's the case. Okay. More because, because and I've talked about this with Alexander. Um... Alex. Oh, and Kelly? Yes, okay, yeah, I've talked yeah. about I've this with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I saw say. that. Well, I talk, Well, we've talked about that. Like, how do you, what, what is someone's why as to why they show up in the studio? Okay. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we can talk about dance, but dance is just the medium. It's just a thing. But right. what is somebody's why that is getting into that dance studio? It's and person, usually right? it's a divorce. It's a breakup. Mm -hmm. It's a life shift. It's a loss of some sort. You know, um, something has shifted in their lives where they know that they need something and they need connection. They don't have it. They need to connect to themselves, to their bodies, to somebody else. They want more joy in their life. They want something that they're not getting in their life and they think dance is going to be the thing. Mm. And so they show up to studios, they're why, you know, so a lot of times like women tend to show up, you know, and put themselves out there, you know, um, because dance is a vulnerable thing, especially when you're learning it as an adult, it is. you know. So I, into it. You're novice. yeah. And so for me, and this is the thing I love about Peter is because he started. Um, he started was like thirty. Yes, because he started as an adult and like not a young adult, <laughs> but like you know, I he mean, he night. started, yeah. yeah. So because of that, he can teach people who he, start like he, that. He's empathetic towards it. Yes, and he knows what it's like. For me, that's that's sort of my limitation because doing it, right? because I don't have any memory of not having dance stage. or rhythm. So I don't. It is really hard for me to meet someone in that place or or to understand it. You know, I don't know what that right, feels right, like, yeah, yeah. and I can't. You know, I can like sympathize but i cannot really understand it mm. and that's what's cool about peter yeah um and that's why he's such a great teacher Definitely. for beginners yeah, um yeah. 
and um I don't know what I was going with that oh but so many people like show up to studios you know with these life you know nobody just it's usually like they don't show up when their life is going great. A lot okay. of times people show up to dance when they're, when they're needing something, mm. when they're needing to fulfill some, like, thing inside yeah. of themselves. And a lot of times that's women, okay. you know? So that, that's what it is? That's what you think it is? I mean, I think, I think men do show up. I think, you know, people in general have different whys as to why they show up, you know? Um, but I think more women show up to learn dance mm-hmm. than men. And so I think when when you're dealing with social dance outside of its cultural context and in a studio, um, you have more women because women are going to be the ones that show up and put themselves out there and get vulnerable. Um, Also, I think women show up a lot of times because they used to dance and they want to get back into it Mm -hmm. because they remember how good it felt, you know, and in this culture in the United States, men don't do that. So I think there's also a thing where women are like, I want to get back in the dance, you know, in yeah. their 30s and their 40s, mm-hmm. you know. I hear that all the time. In dancing grounds, we heard that all the time. Okay. Woman after woman after woman after woman showed up. I used to dance. I wanted it. Come on. This is the you. This Welcome home. <laughs> we got you. Yeah. You know, I used to dance. I want it. Yep. We know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm curious why, like, it's not such a big deal for men. I mean, why the next one client get into it? I think, um, I think it's just different whys. Okay. Again, yeah, I mean, the why is different. Why did you? Um, I couldn't dance. So I guess kind of similar to Peter. But why did you want to? Why did I want to dance? Hmm. Because you can say, I couldn't deer hunt, uh-huh. but you're like, I'm good. I don't need to do that. <laughs> but like, why, <laughs> um, you know, to meet people, I think so. to connect yeah. with, with women in a different way. I'm just asking. Right, right, right. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think <laughs> yeah. back to it. I've been doing it for the past seven, eight years. Like, mm-hmm. why did I do it? When I was like 2021, I think I'll be honest. It might've been to meet women. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think that's a lot of times the, the main why for guys, you know, I'm so thankful. I kind of fell in love with it to where I kind of moved past that. Yeah. I truly truly do just enjoy taking dance classes though. Mm I truly do enjoy it. I love taking dance classes. Well, you wouldn't have lasted this long had you not. If it was just for that, then you wouldn't (laughs) have. I got it a long time ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I love Kizu. I love Kizu. It's my favorite one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's... As my why has changed along the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what kept you? What's your why? This, uh, my this why morning? is that I feel the closest to God when I'm dancing. Hey, okay. That's quite the answer. I don't feel... I feel more myself when I'm dancing. I feel closest to God when I'm dancing. I feel like all is well when I'm mm-hmm. dancing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a soulful thing. Um... You know, and then my family going back to it and bringing around full circle, I guess, you know, because of the lack of affection, whether it was verbal or physical, the lack of affection was found in food. Mm. I'm going to cook you something or dance. Then that sort of got to be part of how I, bless you, that sort of got to be part of how I, um, why dance is so important. Mm. Like, it's so, it's my, it's 
it's a big part of my mental health, my spiritual yeah, health, yeah. physical health. Um, yeah. And, like, I feel like even talking about dance is, like, on one hand, like, it's like talking about... It's like trying to put God into words, talking about dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's strong, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has ever seen me dance, there's that moment where I start to channel. Okay. It's like, oh, we're thinking about, oh, pfft, no, nope, we're not thinking know. about it anymore. Yes. Think, and then that's God, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, that's, that's something I can relate to as well. You yes. know, you start dancing and- Everything else kind of fades in the background, right? Yeah. Hopefully, some, you know, sometimes things change. But yeah, I understand that yeah. you kind of you engage yourself in the activity at hand. Yeah. That's kind of way to forget everything else. Yes. Like totally present. Right, right, right. Totally here. Definitely. It's. It's like that's why we meditate. We meditate to get out of the past and future to come into the present and be with what is in the present. Yeah. And I think music and dance, you know, when you think about like all of these cultures that have strong social dance component, these are cultures that do live hard. I believe it. You know, I mean, Zydeco doesn't come from like, it's, it comes from working hard. It comes from, you know, oppression. It comes from working hard. It comes from, you know, needing to like, blow off steam and let out this is the release right yes it's a release it's it's a reconnecting it's a like coming back home to the body to the earth because these dances are so organic Mm. you know they're so like the rhythm is so organic you know it comes from the earth it comes from hands from feet from earth it's like coming back home Mm -hmm. you know forget all of this bullshit let's come back home I yeah. Understand that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, I want to, um, I got to thank you for taking time out here to talk to me, man. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So glad we did this. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. And um, you're really good at interviewing, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, so keep, keep doing it. Yeah. Um, real quick, tell me, you know, what are some of the upcoming things you have going on? Um, I am actually doing something rare right now. Okay. I am dancing in somebody in another choreographer's piece okay. right now which is something that is rare but um i love her and i trust her um and it is a piece that's going to be performed um august 29th at the marini opera house mm-hmm. um it's going to be with live jazz music is that new orleans or? yeah yeah, okay. yeah in new orleans um with live jazz music and there's going to be a sculptor there and it's um it's a show called what we carry and it's based on um, personal trauma that we carry, and it's also um, about Katrina. Okay. And it's going to be performed on August 29th because that was the date of the storm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the the most um, recent thing that I have. Okay. Yeah, I coming up. Looking forward to and it. And then hopefully I'll be able to say soon that I'll be teaching again consistently okay. and starting my own stuff. Mm-hmm. That. Yes, mm. yes, I know it's been too long, so. Hey. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I'll be at socials. Of course, yeah. See you around. Mm-hmm. Well, real quick, how can people get in contact with you? 
Um, Jessica the dancer at gmail.com is my email. Visceral Jesse is my Instagram. Jessica Donnelly is my Facebook. And Visceral Jesse at wordpress.com, I think, is my website. (laughs) I I don't know it because I haven't been updating it that much. Okay. I'm going to get better at that. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. I, and um, if you just want to come to New Orleans and hey, visit. Hey, that'd be the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. That'd be the best thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, Jessica, I really want to thank you. You know, um, truly enjoy it. Yeah, me too. Any last words before we close this out? Um, oh, I touched the mic. It's not good. No worries. It's great. Um, I don't think so, no. I think I think you, like, scooped it all out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like you scrape the insides pretty good. Sure enough. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. You know, like there's that little part like, oh, forgot that. Yeah, right, sure enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we forgot anything. Awesome. Yeah, thank awesome. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, thank you so much, Jessica. I think this wrap it up for. Cool. This episode of the Podcast. Thank you so much. Hey. <laughs> All right, so hey everyone, um, if you made it this far to the end of the video, I want to thank you so much for just, you know, um, watching this. I, I really hope that you found value in this. Um, my whole goal in this endeavor is, you know, to give a voice to people, to dancers, and and to give value to, to the dance community. Um, so if I'm not giving value, it's kind of pointless. So I, I strongly urge you to please comment and let me know where I can improve, what I need to do better, what, what I'm doing wrong, and, and hopefully what I'm doing right, you know, but my overall goal is I want to give content, I want to I want to be helpful, so please, please let me know where I can improve upon. Um, I'm new to all this, you know, so I, this is, I'm learning as I go, so um, I need like feedback, please comment and just let me know how I can improve. I would greatly appreciate that. That means the world to me just to to be able to interact with you all, you know, have a conversation with you and just, you know, see what you like and what you don't like. Um, That means the world to me. I love interacting with you all. It means so much to me. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for making it this far into the video. Um, You know, I got to say, uh, please leave a like, subscribe. If you don't like it, then let me know why not. Um, hit the down like button hit the unlike button um but you know um thank you so much i really do appreciate it